They worship him. They don't facilitate a plan to kill him. They fall on their faces and they honor the king of the Jews. God's plan will not be thwarted. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to the third part of Pastor Paul Twiss's 11-part series, Christ, the Center of All History. As in yesterday's message, Pastor Paul's text today is chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 of the New Testament Gospel of Matthew. For many of us, recreating the wise men visiting the Christ child belongs in the pageantry of Christmas, and though good and proper, its meaning remains paper thin. Matthew's Gospel devotes 12 verses to these foreign noblemen, and he shows us in verse 11, quote, they fell down and worshiped him, end quote. Who are they worshiping? The child, Jesus Christ. Where? Not in a royal palace, but in a poor family's lodging in humble surroundings. They probably knew about the promises in Isaiah 60, which read, All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They departed rejoicing and played no part in King Herod's plan to murder this future king. Here's part three of Christ, the center of all history. God's plan will not be thwarted. Fast forward to Matthew's day. We have a foreign king named Herod. He is threatened by one Israelite. The text tells us Herod the king heard this. He was troubled. There's an understatement. He feels threatened by a child. So he hires or commissions or instructs some foreign men. Now we'll talk a bit more about the wise men in just a minute, but suffice to say for now, they would have been men of authority, interpreters of dreams, understanders of of things, spiritual things. Herod commissions them not specifically to speak words of curse over the child, but to aid him in a plan that is far worse. Herod's plan is far worse than Balak's plan. Balak said, just speak bad things over them, trusting that they would then come to pass. Herod says, my intention is to kill this child. And what I need from you is some very special information, so help me in this. Of course, he's lying, but the dream made plain to the wise men that they wouldn't be part of this plan. So Herod seeks to kill the child. The wise men have no part in this. The wise men not only avoid going back the same way because they receive the dream, but as it relates to their interaction with the baby, they fall down and they worship him. And if you study that one verb to worship throughout the Gospel of Matthew, there is one occasion when Jesus uses it within a parable. Every other occasion that verb is reserved for the worship of Christ. There are people throughout Matthew's Gospel who fall flat on their faces to worship the Christ. I don't know what the wise men knew, what they thought, what was going on in their hearts as they worshipped him, but they are aligning themselves to some degree with the worship that we see all the way through the gospel that is befitting of this man. 
They worship him. They don't facilitate a plan to kill him. They fall on their faces and they honor the king of the Jews. God's plan will not be thwarted. Now, do you see the radical implications for your life? If you are here this morning and you are not in Christ, I can't offer you much encouragement. I can't offer you much consolation when the world doesn't go the way you would like it to go. When your circumstances are not what you would have them be, I can't say much to that. I can't say if you are not in Christ, I cannot say it's okay, this is going to work out. I can't say God's in this. You can't see him, but I promise you this is for your good. And one day when you get to glory, you'll see it. Because those things cannot be said of someone who has not been reconciled to God through the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you are here with eyes of faith saying, I see what the Bible says about Jesus and I believe it with all my heart. If you are here and you say, I accept Jesus at his word. That's all that's being asked. I accept him for who he says he is. That he has made a payment for my sin. That he's the king over the whole universe. That he demands my worship. I believe it all. If that is you and you are in Christ, then to have been knit together with this king, who is a representative of the truth that God's plans will not be thwarted, now I have all the counsel in the world for you. Whatever circumstances life presents you with, God is in this. He hasn't made a mistake, I promise. I can't explain it. I don't know why he's brought about these circumstances, but I promise on account of God's word, he is in it. And he is for you in it. He's not against you. In Christ, he is never against you. He is always, always, only, totally for you. He is working out good purposes, the extent of which you cannot fathom. And rest assured, he will be glorified in your life. You will get to glory and look back and see with increased understanding and say, I now understand that it was best. That is the proclamation of the Christian. Whatever God brings about, however little we may understand the specifics, we are able to say, based upon the word of God, this is God's best for me. He never gives you anything other than his best for you. If he's withheld something, it's not his best for you. If he has given you something, that is his best for you, in accordance with the plan that you have not yet taken in. We had a phrase in our house for many years during very trying times. Think back, we were having our children, lots of littler children in our house than there are now, a few hours of sleep. I was still in seminary, which means even fewer hours of sleep. We had this car that would just break down all the time. And it was, it was difficult to pay bills and make ends meet. And, and we, f- we felt the strain of life. We felt the reality of living in a broken world. And daily things would come up. And Laura, more than me, she would just remind me and say, this is God's best for us today. This is God's best for us today. Do you believe that? 
Is it something that you say in response to your Savior, Jesus Christ? Because that is the narrative that Matthew is giving to us. That's the theology he wants us to embrace. God's plan will not be thwarted. I mentioned last week in evening service of having read a a biography of Eric Little, the Olympic runner and then the missionary to China. The reason I cried so much at the end of the book, as you may know, is because he died in a, a prisoner of war camp in China just months before the end of the war. So he never got to go home and see his wife again. He never met his third child. And the world looks at that testimony and says, a wasted life. What kind of God does he serve? A wasted life. But one who has taken in the biblical Christ says that was God's best. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I don't know why God in his providence didn't allow that man to go home, but that was God's best. And I promise you, Eric Little has been singing that reality now for a long, long time. With God, he would say, that was God's best for me. This is the truth of the Christ child, whom Herod sought to kill, but the wise men worshipped. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod, and behold, verse 1, wise men came. This is the third point of contact with the Old Testament, and again, it informs our understanding of Christ's glory. How? The wise men come from the east, and evidently they have some knowledge. I think as we read texts like this that are familiar to us, we can often lose sight of just how peculiar they are. How strange they are. We return to this text every Christmas, occasionally in between, and so we lose a sense of just how strange are the goings-on in Bethlehem on this particular night. The wise men come from the east, following a star. Well, hold on. Where did the star come from? Why did they know to follow the star? Why did the star indicate to them that a king had been born. How did they know of these things? Why did they bring gifts to the child? Why did they worship him? The questions are seemingly endless, and Matthew doesn't care to answer them. There are many questions that he does not answer. Some would suggest that their coming is in some way a a downstream benefit, influence, of the Israelites that went into exile. Think about Daniel who went into exile and had knowledge of the scriptures and would have passed on those truths. Perhaps there is an ongoing significance of his being there teaching people such that these wise men understood what the star signified. We don't know. But in God's providence, the wise men come following a star And they arrive at the very place that Jesus had been born. And when they arrive, they fall down, worshipping him. They're overcome with joy. Verse 10, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And then they offer up these gifts. Now, what on earth is going on? And what is the theology that Matthew intends for us to understand? Earlier this morning, we read from Isaiah 60. Not accidental, intentionally chosen in light of this text today. 
If we had time, we could walk through the book of Isaiah and see that there is a theology that Isaiah gives over and over again, wherein he understands one day the nation of Israel will finally do that which God had intended them to do, which is the nation of Israel will one day see their Messiah and acknowledge him as their king. All through the prophets of Isaiah, he is saying Israel is not doing right now what God intends for them to do, but one day something's going to happen where one day they see the king in his beauty. And when they see him, they will be utterly transformed. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet is functioning as a miniature Israel. The Lord cleanses him and makes him useful for service. That is what is to be true of Israel, the nation, but they keep sinning. In Isaiah 60, the prophet projects far into the future. And he says, one day the nation will do what God intends them to do. It all hinges upon them seeing the king in his beauty. And when they do, they will be utterly transformed. And then... And this is the important point for our text in Matthew. When they see the king and are utterly transformed, then they become a means by which the nations come to God. The Old Testament scriptures said Israel were to be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of intermediaries by which the nations stream to the king. And Isaiah 60 depicts that reality. In our text, and it goes on throughout the whole chapter, read Isaiah 60 this afternoon and be edified in your hearts to see how glorious is this vision that the prophet has. The nations stream to Israel and they come bearing gifts to honor Israel because they want to get to the king. Isaiah said it's going to happen one day. In Matthew chapter 2, we get the very first iteration of that vision. Now, it's not fulfillment. Matthew doesn't use fulfillment language. He merely alludes to it. Matthew would not say, here the prophecies of Isaiah 60 have been fulfilled. He wouldn't say that. There is but one Israelite. And there are but three Foreign men, men of authority who may have well have been in service to the king, only three of them. But nevertheless, they come. And they come bearing exactly the gifts that Isaiah speaks of. And notice Isaiah 60 verse 1, it all begins at the dawning of a great light. The significance of the star in Bethlehem was representing the great light that will one day shine over the whole earth that Isaiah 60 spoke of. A light has shone, the wise men say. They knew their book of Isaiah. I have to go. So they make the journey, they bring the gifts, they find the Israelite child, the king, and they worship him. And Matthew is saying this is just the first expression of things to come. He's not saying it's fulfilled, but rather he's saying through this child, one day this glorious vision will be fulfilled. One day, through this child, the glorious gospel of Isaiah will reach its fulfillment. The challenge to you and I is to embrace such a glorious gospel as we find, both in Matthew 2 and in Isaiah 60. 
in the Western church, our gospel is often reduced down to a bare minimum. I prayed a prayer when I was 10. I raised my hand at this conference and I, I went down the aisle and I, I gave my life to Christ and my sins were forgiven. I was in, I did it, I got the ticket and, and there is nothing in your life that represents that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. All too often, that is the gospel that we affirm. We boil the gospel down to a transaction that has no implications for your life. I prayed a prayer. There is no place in the gospels where Jesus beseeches you to pray a prayer for the fact of your salvation. He calls you to discipleship, to pick up your cross and by faith follow him every day. That is biblical Christianity. And with it, comes a universe-shaping theology. If you are determined to live your life in submission to the Word of God, the gospel that you affirm cannot be boiled down merely to a transaction that has no implications on your life. Because it's not biblical. The biblical gospel is one where you, you set your faith on Christ as the payment for your sin. You understand that a transaction has taken place. His robe's for mine. It has happened. There's a transaction. But now your life has been brought into a universe-shaping plan. The gospel doesn't center on you. It centers on Christ. And you are one of thousands of millions brought into, swept up into this glorious plan. A plan that Isaiah says one day will see the nations streaming to the king. That's how broad the gospel is. Sometimes ask people, did, did sin affect just your heart? Or do you believe that it affected every corner of the entire universe? Which is it, A or B? The answer, they say, well, it would be B. It, it, it affected everything. Sin isn't just affecting here, but it's affecting everything. And so I say, don't you think then that the gospel would address every corner of the universe and not simply what's going on in here? This is the plan of salvation that we are commended to meditate upon, to embrace in our hearts and in our thinking, and to trust that as we immerse ourselves in God's glorious plan of salvation, as made plain through the birth of this child, our actions will fall into place around his commands. Our obedience flows from our worship of Jesus. And by being born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod, when wise men came, Matthew instructs, our worship. Let's pray to close. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod when wise men came. We praise you for your providence, for your incredible sovereign hand, moving nations, raising up kings, tearing down kings, for this moment when Christ was born. We see in your plan of salvation, not merely prophecy being fulfilled, 
Christ's child was to be born in Bethlehem. We see the fulfillment of prophecy, but more than that, we see this was part of your perfect plan to give to us a shepherd. Your perfect plan was to give to us lifeless, dead in our trespasses and sins, a shepherd who would come to seek and save the lost, who would bear with us in our failings and who would see us into glory. We praise you this morning that Christ is our shepherd. Father, we see in this text that Herod was just another king who was seeking to thwart your plan. Like the kings of old, he was just another king that sought to thwart your plans. And your plans will not be stopped. Your plans will only succeed. And in so much as we are knit to Christ by the gospel, so we understand that your plans will not be thwarted in our lives. You only intend good for us. You only intend to bring about your glory in our lives. Whatever the world would say, whatever our hearts might tell us about our circumstances, the Word of God tells us that you are working out a perfect plan for us. In Christ, we see your goodness and we embrace it. Father, we see in your text that as these wise men came to worship, they are simply treading out the path of Old Testament texts that speak of a universe-shaping gospel, one that affects every corner of your creation. One day salvation will extend to the far ends of the universe and it will be plain for all to see and the nations will stream to the King. Father, forbid us to foster in our hearts a small gospel. Forbid us to foster in our hearts a gospel that doesn't align with the Bible, but teach us to embrace a biblical gospel, one that understands the, the transaction of sins forgiven and righteousness bestowed, but embraces the call to discipleship and understands that as each and every one of us have been called into life in Christ, we have entered into an enormous plan. We are but one local church in an enormous plan of salvation. And we rejoice. And as we meditate upon that reality, so then our lives truly will be shaped in obedience to the King. May this be a reality in our lives. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. God's plan could not be thwarted because the wise men knew the truth. Matthew could have been suggesting that they had heard the prophet Daniel's message while in exile in Babylon, preserved for many hundreds of years earlier. We who are resting in Christ will know someday. The Gospel of Matthew has convinced many that Christ Jesus is the center of all history. And could it be that many of the doubting Jews of his day realized they helped crucify this humble Savior, their Messiah? If this Savior is beckoning for you, don't put it off any longer. If you'd like to learn more about following Jesus Christ, come to our website, 
TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an audio archive of Christ-centered, solid Bible teaching, free for the listening. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you're not part of a local church, you're invited to come worship with us this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Join us Monday. It's part four in our continuing series, Christ, the Center of All History, from Pastor Paul Twist. I'm Matt Williams. Hope you have a great weekend, and thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.